All right, we'll be in Micah chapter 3 as we continue through this prophecy. The last two weeks, we've seen God's problem with the leadership in Israel. God is addressing the princes, the prophets, and the priests here in this chapter. We've seen how the princes did not issue righteous judgments and how the prophets made people to go astray. I entitled these, there was a breakdown in judgment and there was a breakdown in guidance. Both groups were intentionally taking advantage of people in order to achieve their personal gains, their personal success. And as a result, God was going to bring severe judgment against them as a result of oppressing the people. They are going to reap what they have sown unless there is repentance. For today, let's begin reading verses 8 through 12 of Micah chapter 3. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward and the priests thereof teach for hire and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as in field, as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, the mountain of the house of the high places of the forest. So after warning about the false prophets in verses 5 through 7, Micah now contrasts himself as the true prophet, as a true prophet of God there in verse 8. And we see the characteristics of such a prophet. He is one that is full of power. He is one that gives judgment. And he is one that declares transgressions and sins all by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's the key. A true prophet of God has the Spirit of God upon him where the false prophets were walking after their own spirit. Ezekiel 13, 1-3 says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets, that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. So it's possible to have your own spirit when you go about spiritual things, right? It's, it's possible to just walk by your own heart and, and to not follow what God is doing. But Micah here, he says, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. When someone has the Spirit of the Lord upon them, they can only speak truth because the Spirit cannot lie. Amen. It cannot lead us down a wrong path. It's that part of the born-again believer that cannot sin. And so they can't help but speak truth because they're being led by God to speak what God has given them to speak. With the Spirit of the Lord, we can have power as believers. 
Power and might are both mentioned here, but there is a slight difference between the two. The power is courage to speak with conviction as God's representative with boldness, knowing that the message that we give is not from mankind. Power to have courage to stand and to speak God's message. Having judgment goes beyond having discernment between right and wrong here, but it means to speak God's verdict. What does God say is going to happen as a result of what is taking place? It's not man's opinion, but it's what God says about the matter. That's judgment. Having might is the strength to stand firm in proclaiming God's word without fear of how the people will react. And many times we can get a little sheepish because we're nervous about how somebody may receive God's message. And those who have the Spirit of the Lord upon them, they don't have to be ugly in doing it, but they can stand firm knowing that their message is of God. And so they don't care what other people may say or what they may even do to you. It's being resolute and undaunted no matter how unpopular the message may be. The message of God is becoming more and more unpopular today. And when we possess these characteristics, due to the Spirit of the Lord being upon us, we will be able to declare transgressions and sins unashamedly. We will be able to, as Isaiah 58 one says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. There's a time that we really need to be like a trumpet. Amen. There are times we need to be a little more subtle. But there are times where we do have to cry aloud and we have to show the sinfulness of people. Remember that these false prophets would be left with their hands over their mouth. We talked about that last week. Because once the enemy came in, these false prophets have been prophesying peace There was going to be no peace at that point. And so they would have nothing to say for themselves. They would not be able to justify their false message of peace. But God's prophets are always emboldened to speak the truth. And I'm talking about all of us in here this morning as believers. We are to proclaim the message of God. We're to be prophets for God, if you will. And so we're to be emboldened in giving God's message out there. There may be times that there's discouragement. Amen. It may be hard sometimes. But God's prophets will speak truth. They can't help but declare what they have seen and heard. Now, in those times of discouragement, those who have the Spirit of the Lord upon them won't be able to hold back any longer at some point. They are going to have to speak God's word. Jeremiah was in a position where he said, Because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. He said, I'm proclaiming the word of God. I'm doing these things as Micah describes himself. And yet I do that and I just get beat down and I get derided and I'm treated this way and that way. And I just don't want to proclaim the message anymore. He said this, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. A prophet of God. 
Jeremiah saying that. But how many of you know what he said next? In Jeremiah 20, in verse 9, he said, But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Now, none of us have gone through what the prophet Jeremiah went through. None of us have been thrown down into a pit. We've not been locked up. And he got to the point when he couldn't keep his mouth shut any longer, despite all that. And there came a point where he said, I've got to, I can't forbear any longer. I've got to say what God has put into my heart. It's like a fire that gets shut up in your bones. Nothing removes it but preaching. You can't help but preach. David said in Psalm 39.3, My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. It, it burns inside. And, and you know, how many of you know that there's a loved one, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, something like that, and you know it burns within you that you need to say something? You've got to say it. You've got to say it. You've got to get it out. You've got to let people know what the Holy Spirit has put upon your heart. If we would learn to obey every leading of the Holy Spirit, how much better off would we be? And not just in witnessing, but in every area of life, just to listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling us and do it. And this principle isn't just for preachers. It's for all of God's children. You've likely had times when you've kept your mouth shut. And you know you should have said something. But there came a point when you couldn't help but speak up. Now, I don't mean being a busybody and uh, where you stick your nose where it doesn't belong. I don't mean being pious in a way where you stink with pride. But for the sake of giving the truth of God's word and for God's glory and for Christ's sake in humility with conviction and power to reach sinners. That's what I'm talking about. Now, the only way to be effective in our in our Christian life, the only way to be effective in any area is to have the Spirit of the Lord upon us, right? We've got to have the Spirit of God in our lives. If we go in our power, we will get in the flesh. And we will lose our effectiveness as a result. But great things happen by the Spirit. And the Spirit is absolutely necessary to accomplish God's work God's way. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, it says, And he speaking of Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now, wouldn't that be something if we raised our children that way? Just a quick side note that the Lord hit me with. It was his custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That's his custom. That's how we need to raise our children. And he stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And he was quoting Isaiah 61. If the Spirit, listen now, I said all that to say this. If the Spirit was upon Jesus, how much more do we need the Spirit? If He was baptized 
And John said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven as a dove, lighting upon Him. How much more do you and I need the Spirit in our own lives? In Luke 24, 49, it says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Jesus said, you got to have power. you got to have power. And you're better off to wait for it than to go out and do stuff in your own flesh. And then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Spirit of God came upon the early church, and they did miraculous things. The Bible says they turned the world upside down. Because they had the Spirit of the Lord upon them. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's always victory. When the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, you can go into a lost and dying world and you can be victorious. And I believe if we had the Spirit of the Lord upon us, we could turn Rapid City upside down. You say, well, I don't believe that. I know that's the problem. Amen. They had 120 in the upper room. Look what happened. We're still meeting today, 2,000 years later. Amen. It's amazing what we could do if we would just have the Spirit of the Lord upon us. We read in Judges how the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came upon King Saul and King David. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Elijah and then Elisha. When the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, we'll be as bold as those prophets in ages past. We will rebuke the wicked religious leaders of our day like John the Baptist did at the river of Jordan. We will have the zeal of the Apostle Peter. We'll have the determination of the Apostle Paul. We'll be working like James. We'll be secure like John the Beloved. We'll preach against ungodliness like Jude. And we'll be concerned for the souls of men like Jesus Christ. May we get hungry for the Spirit of the Lord to have His power working in us and through us. May we hunger and thirst after righteousness. May we seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon us. You see, we need to see an undeniable move of God in our day. It needs to happen. Our children need to see it. We need revival. It's still possible in this day. Amen. It's still possible in 2020. God is able. God is still willing. The problem is God's people are not seeking after it. We're too caught up in our personal lives. We're too concerned about our careers and our educations and our families and all these other things that draw us away from the main thing. We just don't hunger after it. We don't seek it. But we need to until we're endued from power from on high. When we are full of power by the Spirit, we'll be like Micah in verse 8. We'll have power. We will speak of judgment to come. We'll have might. We will preach against sin. And we won't be concerned about everyone's opinions in the matter. Listen, we've never been accepted in this world. So you might as well just settle that and realize if you speak truth you're still going to be viewed no different than they would view you now, even if you didn't speak truth because you told them you're a Christian. Amen. So you might as well just do what the Bible says. When we have the Spirit of God upon us, we'll be concerned with what God's Word says. May God help us 
Look at verse 9. It says, Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. This verse begins identical to the middle part of verse 1. Having given his status as a true prophet of God, he turns once again to the civil leadership. In verse 1, he asks the question to them, is it not for you to know judgment? And here he states that they abhor judgment and they pervert all equity. To exercise godly judgment should have been their joy. That's why they were in that position. And they should have enjoyed that. They should have wanted to honor God in that. But they abhor judgment. Meaning they detested it. It was abominable to them to judge righteously. Think about that. It became abominable to them to do the right thing. We see they also perverted all equity. Which means they took that which was straight and they made it crooked. It's a way of resting the law to make wrong judgments appear legal. Does that not sound like our day? To take laws and twist them to make them appear good. But they were wronging those they should have righted. They were acquitting those they should have been condemning. In our day, I think of laws like making abortion legal. Ungodly judges say it's okay to murder an innocent life. Now the envelope is being pushed to afterbirth. See, we're, we're taking something that was straight according to God's word and we're making it crooked. And, and we're making it sound like it's okay. That the law now means this. And so we've taken our own constitution and we've pretty much trashed that. When the Constitution already guarantees us certain religious rights and yet states have to pass freedom of religious uh, bills, why do we have the Constitution? The Constitution already secures that. Why have to reissue another state law to, to, to do it again? Everybody with me? And so we, we see this happening in our own, our own country. They try to make it look just and equitable to take life, though it clearly violates God's law and the law of nature. It's making the straight crooked. It's valuing certain lives over others. They use tricky phrases like pro-choice. They don't use anti-life. But we're also seeing this way of thinking being, being applied now to our elderly. And now they're talking about telling our elderly who have a condition, sorry, you're too old and... We don't feel like you're going to benefit us much. And so therefore, here's some pills to comfort you as you die. You guys know this is happening, right? I mean, the, the politicians have been saying it. This is what they want to do. It's sad. And so how dare we say, uh, sorry, Mike, you're not worth treating. That's where we're at today. And we, we're just totally corrupting everything that's common sense in God's Word. Would you look at verse 10, please? They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The thought here is the houses in Zion were built up. They were beautified 
through their illegal gains, through their oppression, taking advantage of people, their violence. And that Jerusalem in general was being enlarged as a result of this. Some suggest that this may extend to repairs on the temple, but I've not seen anything biblical to support that. But certainly the other side there of enlarging Jerusalem, making it um, beautifying houses and stuff, we find that throughout the prophets. I'll read some of those in just a minute. This was said to be accomplished through blood and iniquity, but that which is built through sin will eventually fall by God's judgment. It will happen one day. As you read the prophets, you find this is a major problem. Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 13 through 17 say, Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages, and giveth him not for his work, that saith, I will build me a wide house and large chambers, and cutteth him out windows, and it is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. Shalt thou, shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar? Did not thy father eat and drink and do judgment and justice, and then it was well with him? He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well with him. Was not this known to me, saith the Lord? But thine eyes and thine heart are not but for thy covetous, and for to shed innocent blood, and for oppression, and for violence to do it. And then in Amos chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate. They abhor him that speaketh uprightly. Remember, Micah said, they abhor judgment. And in Amos, who's contemporary to all this, says, um, man, they hate the people that are trying to do the right thing. They hate those who are standing up and judging properly, that speak uprightly. For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor, and you take from him burdens of wheat, ye have built houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. Ye have planted pleasant vineyards, but ye shall not drink wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe. And they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. And then Habakkuk 2, 9 through 12 says, Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, and establish a city by iniquity. And so we find the prophets were rebuking this. It wasn't just isolated to Micah's message. And now we see uh, that this prophecy, it's not only to the house of Israel, but it includes the house of Judah as well, because it's talking about Zion and Jerusalem, which were located in Judea. Let's move on to verse 11. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priest thereof teach for hire, the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. The means by which they built Zion was the princes judging for reward, the priests were teaching for hire, and the prophets were divining for money. They were using religion to get rich. <laughs> That's still an issue today, isn't it? All three 
were corrupted by money. The whole leadership in the nation was corrupted. Money caused the princes to pervert judgment. Money caused the priests to teach falsely. And money caused the prophets to deliver the message they wanted to hear. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 2 Peter 2.15, speaking of the false prophets, says, uh, they have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Balser, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. You can make money in the name of God and not be right. And apparently some can make pretty good living. <laughs> this is the first time we've seen the priest addressed in this chapter. Remember, he's rebuking the uh, princes, the prophets, and the priests. So let's take just a moment to address the priest failures. Now, there was no temple in Israel, in the house of Israel. The temple was in the house of Judah. And the house of Israel worshipped the golden calf that Jeroboam had made. And they didn't go down to Jerusalem to worship. Therefore, the house of Israel, all of their priests were corrupt. All of them. Because they all were put... In fact, I, I think I may have it here. Yeah. Second Chronicles 11, verses 13 through 15 say, And the priests and the Levites that were in all Israel, that's talking about the northern kingdom, resorted to him out of all their coast. For the Levites left their suburbs and their possession and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto the Lord. And he, Jeroboam, ordained him priest for the high places and for the devils and for the calves which he had made. When all this went down, the, those who were trying to do godly in the house of Israel, they fled down to Judah to get out from under this. And Jeroboam, he was making anybody who was willing to be a priest no matter how wicked. And of course, they were in, in idolatry at this point, so it's kind of moot. But he was making anybody a priest. It says this in 1 Kings thirteen thirty three, And after this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priest of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. So there was no standard. There was no following God's Word. And if that's not how American churches are today, I don't know what is. If we will just make a, a quote-unquote priest of a homosexual, there's an issue. Amen. If we will violate God's Word that says that a bishop ought to be the husband of one wife, and we'll just ordain women to the pulpit, we've got a problem. Now, either God's Word is right or it isn't. You say, well, are all those women preachers wrong? Yes! Doesn't mean they don't say good things. Amen. It doesn't mean that they don't have a handle on the Word of God. But it's not right. And see, Jeroboam, he would just make any old person who wanted to be a priest a priest. And, and there's churches out there that do that certain denominations, certain movements. 
listen, there are people in churches, hey, where'd you get ordained? From ordination.com. I was in OTS and um, hated every minute of it. And they, because I was one of the older guys, they ruined me with another older guy. I don't know what that means. And we were talking one night about spiritual things. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm an ordained minister. And I said, is that right? Because there was no, no way to identify this, okay? There was no fruit whatsoever. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm an ordained minister. And I said, oh, what, what church are you with? He goes, well, I'm not with a church. And I said, oh, how does that work? He said, well, there's a website that I went to because somebody wanted me to perform a wedding for them. And all I had to do was fill out this form and then I was ordained. Ordained minister. You see, it doesn't matter. Somebody's got to stand up for what's right and what's wrong. Well, praise the Lord. So the house of Israel, they were entirely corrupt. The priests within the house of Judah, they also became corrupted in time. They perverted the law of God. Micah chapter, or Micah, Malachi chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, it says, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at thy law, or at the law, excuse me. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. When the priests forsook knowledge, it caused the people to stumble. And that's what happens when church leadership decides to go against God's Word. Somebody once said, I don't know if this is true, if it is, it's a very humbling thought, but that... Uh, a congregation will not rise above the spiritual level of their pastor. I don't know if that's true, but good night. If that's true, y'all need to pray for me. Amen. But the, the principle is that, and I know this to be true because I saw it in my military career, is the congregation will look at those in certain positions and go, if that's acceptable in their life, then that's allowed in my life. And they'll take it one step further. You know, nobody has ever come to me and said, Pastor, is it okay if I sell out for God? Isn't that right? Anybody ever asked you that? Is it okay if I just give everything to the Lord and live my life for Him? Uh, Because I'm really feeling convicted that I just need to sell out and not even mess with the world. No, what people do is they come to you and they say, Hey, Pastor, is it okay if I go to the movies? Hey, is it okay if I have just a drink but don't get drunk? Come on now. People want to know how close they can live to the world, not how close they can live to God. And so when, when the leadership gets corrupted, like Mike is talking about here, and like I just read there from Malachi, they cause people to stumble at the law. I remember when I was in Diego Garcia, quote-unquote, deployed there, the chaplain staff could be seen down at the Brit Club drinking. And of course, a lot of the military folks thought, how cool. He's just like one of us. Yeah, and that's why you're not being reached with the gospel. Amen. There's got to be a difference, right? Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Whose responsibility was it to give the knowledge? It was the priest. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of God, I will also forget thy children. 
That's pretty severe. Now, notice the last half of verse 11 where we read, Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Despite all of this iniquity, despite the fact that the house of Israel was completely wicked, and by the way, they never had a king that reigned righteously in the eyes of the Lord, despite the fact that the house of Judah had eventually become corrupted, they had perverted the law of God, and the priests were making the law a stumbling block. And, and by the way, let me, I didn't finish that thought. This is why Paul says there are certain things I don't do. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. And he says, the reason why I don't partake of, of eating this particular meat in front of this particular person is because I'll cause my brother to stumble. Meat's meat. I don't care who it was sacrificed to. It doesn't hurt me one bit. I can eat it. It doesn't matter. But if it's going to cause my brother to stumble, then I'm not going to do it. And so sometimes we have to think about other people and realize that not everybody is as strong as maybe you are. And they need to see a higher standard because, like I said, they'll take it one step further. So just keep that in mind. Uh, And yet it says here, despite all their iniquity, when they said, we lean upon the Lord, the Lord is among us. They were all corrupt and all this oppression. They were living contrary to God's word. Yet they were still claiming the Lord was among them. That the Lord was okay with all that's happening. They were invoking God in all of this and saying that God was still there. That they were not in danger of God's judgment. This is what happens when we get weak on our stance. And we wink at things. And we say, no, it's okay. I understand. No, 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 it's not okay. It's not okay. God's going to bring judgment as a result. The true prophets were identified as... Um, here's, here's what was going on because they were saying that the Lord was with them and that God was still among them, that they were in no danger of God's judgment. Here's what was happening. The true prophets were being called the enemies of God. And I, I just can't help but see the similarities today. Our money says in God we trust, but our laws say otherwise. We claim to honor God and we say God is among us and we act like we are in God's favor. But we're deserving of God's severe judgment today. We have forsaken His Word and His Christ. And the true believers, the true prophets, the true preachers, we're deemed the problem in the land. If it wasn't for you Christians, we stand in opposition of their agenda. May we stand strong. We are the hope of this nation. God's people. With the Spirit of the Lord upon them. We see the judgment to come upon Zion and Jerusalem in verse 12. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps. And the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. It's about this time in Sunday school, people are beginning to fade, fall asleep even. (laughs) In an effort to stir us back up a bit, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 26. Jeremiah chapter 26. 
And if you're not actually turning there, rustle the pages so it sounds like it. <laughs> Jeremiah 26. Let's read verses 7 through 19. Honestly, I was going to turn here no matter what because when I read this many verses, I like us to see it. Jeremiah chapter 26. Let's read verses 7 through 19. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Are you getting that picture? I mean, in the house of the Lord, they're gathering against God's prophet. When the princes of Judah heard these things, then they came up from the king's house unto the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. Then spake the priests and the prophets unto the princes, and to all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against this city, as ye have heard with your ears. Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes, to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that ye have heard. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God. The Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. As for me, behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as seemeth good and meet unto you. But know ye for certain that if ye put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and upon the inhabitants thereof. For of a truth the Lord has sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. Then said the princes and all the people unto the priest and to the prophets. We find these three groups again. This man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken unto us in the name of the Lord our God. Then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spake unto all the assembly of the people, saying, this is what I wanted to read, Micah the Morishite prophesied in the days of Hezekiah king of Judah and spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house of in the mountain of the house as the high places of a forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him at all to death? Did he not fear the Lord and besought the Lord? And the Lord repented him of the evil which he had pronounced against them. Thus might we procure great evil against our souls. And so in the days of Jeremiah, the house of Judah, they're being warned they're going to go into Babylonian captivity and Jeremiah reaches back to the prophet Micah, and he quotes Micah chapter 3 and verse 12, or at least the people there did. They mention how, hey, Micah prophesied this day was coming if, if we didn't do something about it. And you may recall earlier in this study through Micah that when the Assyrians were being prophesied to come through the house of Israel, that they would make their way into the land of Judea, and they would get to the the doorstep of Jerusalem. They would stand in the gate of the fit or at the gate of the fenced cities, uh, including Jerusalem. But long story short, Hezekiah, he feared the Lord. Can you remember the account when the Assyrians are right outside the gate and they're mocking uh, Hezekiah? They're telling the people, "Don't trust in your God. 
What, what nation have we not been able to conquer? We've leveled all their gods. And Hezekiah fears the Lord. He prays to the Lord. And the Lord withheld judgment. The Lord extended them some time. However, we know Judah eventually corrupted themselves. They would fall to the Babylonians in time. And some even see this as a reference of what Micah was saying there in, in chapter 3 and verse 12. Some even see this as a reference to the future destruction to come at that point in Jerusalem at AD 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. And some people kind of see a double fulfillment there. That may be the case. Um, and if we want to go down that road, we might could even say it's giving us an idea of what's to come in our future when the Lord comes back and exercises His judgment upon this earth. And so there may be some of that there. And we know that the political and religious climate in Jerusalem during the times of Christ certainly set the stage for the destruction of Jerusalem. It was like a lot of what Micah is saying. There was corrupted judgment. The, the prophets who were true prophets, they were hated. They were, uh, Jesus says, Jerusalem, you've killed the prophets. You stoned them with stones. You, you didn't like those who came to you to give you the message of God. And, and so we can see when we start going down that path, we're headed for judgment. We're headed for trouble. And when we start saying that the true message of God, and we stop our ears to that, and we don't want to hear it, and we call those people the problems, then we've got problems. And that's what was happening then. That's what we're starting to see happen now. They were once again oppressing the poor there in the New Testament, the widows and the fatherless. Jesus was rebuking them for that. They had once again corrupted the law of God. They were also saying, God is among us. They were saying they were in no danger of God's judgment. If Josephus is to be believed, when the Romans stood outside of Jerusalem getting ready to destroy the city, there were still prophets up there at the Temple Mount saying, it's all going to be okay, trust God. There were still prophets prophesying unto them lies. This is why I have a major problem with a lot of the modern teaching on Israel because we're convincing people that it's all going to be okay. Sounds an awful lot like the Old Testament prophet saying it's all going to be okay. They were saying God was among them. The pattern is clear in God's word and America must take heed. Now back to Micah's day. I'll end with one last passage. This scripture I'm about to read, it captures this whole scenario nicely. If, if you can capture a bad thing nicely. I don't know what the right word is to use. Ezekiel 22, verses 25 through 31. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof. Like a roaring lion ravening the prey, they have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They put no difference between holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths. And I am profaned among them. Her princes, see all three groups here. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls. To get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, saying, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken, the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. 
Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. I have consumed them with fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. So I just want to encourage you this morning that we need to be a people who God can find standing in the gap. That we can be, as children of God, His representative. That we can stand for truth and right judgment. That we won't take advantage of the poor. That we won't oppress the widows and the fatherless. But that we'll stand for what's right. That we'll stand in the gap in our land in hopes that God will not destroy our land. Where else are we going to go? The, the world is mapped. There's nowhere left to go. There is no new world. Amen. This is the land God has given us, and we need to stand for righteousness. I understand we seek a heavenly city to come. I, I get all that. But in the meantime, while I'm living here, I'd like to have a good nation to live in. That'd be my preference. Let's pray.